I'm glad you came today. We got a lot of things to cover and uh, a lot of things going on with the fall and just want to keep you energized and keep you excited. But before we get going today, I'll give you a chance to, uh, to get a deep breath. And man, we just need that. I can see it in some of your eyes today. Just need a, an opportunity to get some perspective today on your life. So the way we do that around here is just a, a, a brief moment to kind of to stop. Um, some of you have not stopped at all. <laughs> In the, in the last week. So I want to give you that chance here to just stop and to ask God to, during this time to just kind of give you perspective on your life um, and get your heart right. So let's do that for a moment, just a, a moment to be quiet, and then uh, I'll finish it with prayer and we'll move on this morning. God, right here in this room, pray that you would give us some new energy to take the next step towards you, to take the next step towards loving our kids and our families and the people in our lives that need us. God, in the midst of all the pain, it's easy to ask questions that there are no answers to on this side of heaven. It's easy to get disillusioned and lose perspective on our lives. Would you give us new, a new understanding today of our lives and how you intend for us to live and then bring us that peace that you promise comes with knowing you. Pray that it would kind of sweep over this room right now. That it would change the way we think, change the way we talk, and change the way we listen and live our lives in your son's name. Amen. Well, we're in the third week of a series called God's Not Dead. It's um, as part of the movie um, that uh, came out this year um, where you get to kind of see a, a college student stand up for what he believes, and um, it has created quite a bit of uh, buzz in not just the Christian community, but just anybody who is surrounded by Christianity in any way. Um, and if you're a Christian, you've no doubt heard about the movie. You may not have seen it. I just want a quick raise of the hands. How many people have seen the movie? Yeah, how many seen God's Not Dead? All right, maybe half of us, a little less than half maybe. If you haven't seen it, you're not, you're not going to be lost today. Um, we're not going through it on a, on a line-by-line basis or anything. The idea is um, through this series, we want to kind of answer some questions that, that the movie brought out. Um, and they're questions that even if you haven't seen the movie, you're going to have as well. Over the last couple of weeks, we've covered questions like, if, if there really is a God, then why do we suffer? Why, do, why is there human suffering? We covered that. Last week, we talked a lot more um, about that and about God's um, intent for our lives and how we talk about Him. Today, I, basically what I want to cover is sort of the theme of the, of the entire movie. And no matter how you feel about the movie and how you feel about um, its impact on the community, one of the things that it brought up was that Christians take a stand and often for what they believe. And sometimes when Christians take a stand, um, it comes off the wrong way, um, and sometimes it leads to life change, and there's some common denominators to that. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, or if you're listening online and you're not a Christian, you need to know that this sermon is really important to you. Um, this is a really important part of your kind of just discovering what the truth is because you need to know that often what you see from Christians is not what God intends for us to be doing. 
Um, and so just because you have an experience with a Christian that may be bad um, doesn't necessarily mean that, that that's representative of what God wants. So you're going to get to hear today what God intends for us to be saying um, to other people when it comes to our faith. Um, and if you are a Christian, then, then you need to know today what your job is. When it comes to somebody disagreeing with you, when it comes to somebody asking you questions about what you believe, you need to know kind of the way God has put parameters on that. I remember the first time it happened to me, um, I was about 15 years old, and uh, a group of kids at school knew that I was a Christian and began to make fun of me, and I immediately got into the mode that you get when you're 15 years old and you're being bullied. The, I'm going to defend myself, I've got to be a tough guy, and so I started coming back with all these just stupid things that I said and made me feel dumb and made me look dumb and made them make fun of me more. And I realized that, that my intent, and I remember when I, talked, I came home and I talked, talked to my dad about it, that God's intent for me is not to just to stand up for my faith. The truth is, God doesn't need me to stand up for him. Did you know that? That, that God doesn't, intend, that doesn't need me to stand up for him as though God is being bullied and I'm going to jump in and take care of it for God. That's not the way he intends for me to do. What he intends for me to do is to be able to explain why it is that I believe what I believe and have experienced what I've experienced. And so uh, you're going to hear me today, um, and some of you have known me for 10 years and will probably know the exact angle I'm going to take on this today, um, that uh, I have some issues with the way Christian people often talk about themselves. And I, I don't always get to preach about that. I don't always get to talk about that. But man, when I do, I'm going to hit it hard. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about today what I believe, the way I believe God wants us to talk about our faith and how we believe and what we believe. And again, if you're a Christian or if you're kind of kicking the tires on this today, this is going to be a great opportunity for you to get a real understanding of the way God intends for us to be and not just base it on maybe some bad experiences you've had. So I want to jump right in today. The, the piece of scripture that Christians have used since... Jesus was here, um, or since it, Peter wrote it, was this piece of scripture right here. Um, they've used this to say that they need to defend um, God, or they need to defend their faith. And it's a piece of scripture that, that basically says, be ready to, if anyone asks you, be ready to give a defense for what you believe. And the, the English translation that we usually read is, be ready to defend or give a defense, as though you're somehow being bullied. And that's an English translation that doesn't really match with the, the original language. So I pulled this one today, which is from a translation of the Bible that I like a lot. Um, the funny thing, if you, if you read the Bible a lot, and if you haven't, you, you ought to, because it's amazing. Um, some incredible truths there. That There are lots of different translations of the same um, original script. And I, I really love when the Bible does, uh, or when the translators take what the original language was and, and let me know right up what they believed at the time and, and the way it was written, rather than sort of translate it into our time. And so this is, this is a, a version of the Bible called the Message that really does kind of translate it into our time. Sometimes they hit it right on and sometimes they don't. So there's all kinds of options for you to be able to study these in different ways. But this is from a version of the Bible called the Message. And it comes off like this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Through thick and thin, I love that, that statement, keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ your Master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are. And always with utmost courtesy. Keep a clear conscience before God so that when people throw mud at you, none of it will stick. They'll end up realizing... They're the ones who need a bath. 
This is Peter's understanding. I believe this is one of the best translations in English that we have of the way Peter intends for us to talk about what we believe. Now, do you see the difference here? The, the, the other English translations say that we're supposed to be defending ourselves. That's not at all what I believe Peter intended. What Peter intended is when, because of the way you're living your life, somebody says, what is it that I see in you that's different? Be ready to explain to them why you're living the way you are. Not why you think the way you do, not why you believe what you believe, not why your dad believed it, or your mom believed it, or your grandpa believed it, but by your actions, people will begin to ask questions about what you believe. And out of those actions, you need to be ready to explain your beliefs. Now, that is a huge difference. Instead, many Christians that I've known in my life, many Christians that are, seem to be the loudest ones on Facebook... Um, are, are not waiting for people to ask them. They're not waiting for somebody to see the way they live their life and to want to know what the difference is. They're just attacking. They're, they're, they're literally taking the, the English translation of this in, from defense to, to offense. I'm going to go after. I'm going to find people who disagree with me, and I'm going to try to tear them down one way or the other. And if you look closely, what Peter means and what Peter said when it, when it comes to being ready and what God wants for you, when it comes to being ready, is first he says it right there, keep your heart at attention. I love that phrase, keep your heart at attention. The idea is this, always be ready. And that, that's not always be ready verbally and mentally. That's have your life ready. So that when it comes time for those conversations with people, you're not thinking all about yourself. You're not thinking about just the, the, the thing that you have in front of you. But you're thinking about a bigger picture. He also says, you first live differently. You live differently, and you earn the right to speak. One of the things you're going to hear me say today um, over and over is that if you aren't living the kinds of things you're believing, now obviously we're all uh, uh, missing the mark at times. But if you, if, if you like to talk more than you like to live being a Christian, I'm going to ask you to do something that I believe should come straight from God this morning. I'm going to ask you to shut up. <laughs> if you can't live it first, simply Stop talking. One of the biggest problems with our faith, one of the biggest issues with the name Jesus is Christians who aren't living, they're just flapping their gums. And the kind of defense, the kind of response that Christian people had while Jesus was around and for many years after that, the kind of response had nothing to do with intellectual statements. It had nothing to do with PowerPoint presentations. It had nothing to do with books that were written and intellectual arguments. It had everything to do with a, a proven existence of Jesus and God by the way we live our lives. I'll tell you what I mean by that. I've got a friend. Um, he lives in Ohio now. He was the best youth minister I ever had, and I had a lot of them. The church I grew up in fired a youth minister every year or so for something. You know, it was like, we, this guy's been around here 12 months, that's too long, F find something, and they'd fire him, you know? And so I, I'd get attached to somebody, and then they, as a, as a kid, they, they would leave. And this, this guy happened to be around three years, which was a miracle, the church I was at. Um, and I, to this day, there are moments where I think about, his name is Tom, and I think about Tom, and I actually have the thought, in this situation, what would Tom say? What would Tom do in this situation? I know the, the question is, is, what would Jesus do? And I, I ask that too. But at times, I remember Tom, and I've, I spent a lot more time with Tom at that time in my life than I did with Jesus. And so I, I kind of just thought, that's the kind of person I want to be. And I'll never forget, 
when, when we were all sitting around a football game one time, Tom had no interest in sports whatsoever, personally, but because my group of friends did, and he wanted to interact with us, he started learning about football, and he was a geek. He would read about it and study football so he could talk to us about it, and we all knew that he was just just talking about it, but he didn't really know, and we were all sitting around one evening, and the coolest kids in the school were sitting at this table at the pizza place in Ellettsville. I'll never forget this. The coolest kids in the school, they were the athletes. It was after the football game, and Tom was sitting with them, and I walked into the pizza place, and I wasn't ever allowed to sit at the cool kid table. I was not the cool kid. I know that's surprising, but I wasn't. Um, I got much cooler later, but but I I wasn't allowed to sit at that table, and I'd seen that table so many times, and there the biggest geek, who I absolutely loved, but I just thought of him as a geek, was sitting at the table with the cool high school kids. And I walked in, and Tom said, Hey, it's John! John, come on over here! And my initial reaction was, Tom, I'm not allowed at that table. I'm, you don't understand. At school, these guys, they don't even talk to me. And I, I came, and the kid, the, these cool kids were like, Yeah, John, come on over. Wow! This is amazing. So I sat at the table with them, and we sat over this pizza, and Tom was... I mean a geek. He wasn't cool. But there was something different about Tom. There was something different about Tom's life. You know what Tom never did? He never talked about Jesus to these kids right up front. He never, he never as they were in conversation, he would be like, well, you know what 1 Corinthians says about that, guys. He would never do that. He would never wait for them to say a cuss word and then go, boy, you guys are going to hell. He would never wait for them to get... He just... There was just something different about Tom, and I'll never forget the way it came to that night. We were sitting at this pizza place after the football game. We'd all lost, and we all sat around, and the coolest kid, he was a running back of our football team, the coolest kid in the table, sat back, and he said, Tom, how do I get to be like you? How do I grow up and be like you? Because my dad's an idiot. My mom's married three different men and now on her fourth. I don't want to live like anybody I know except you. How do I get to be like you? And for the first time in my life, and one of the only times in my adult life, I saw evangelism the way God intended and the way Jesus intended for evangelism to happen. Not somebody walking up going, you're going to hell. You know why? Not somebody walking up void of a conversation, void of a relationship, but someone who had earned the right because of the way they lived their life, and they were being asked. Up, up until that point in my life, I thought that, that evangelism and that telling people what I believe was the most awkward, hard, difficult thing I could ever imagine until I saw Tom do it the way it was intended to be done. They were begging him to know, how do I end up like that? How do I end up with a peace like that? How do I end up not needing to be somebody I'm not? How do I end up just thinking about other people first? And Tom got to share in an hour the best gospel conversation I've ever heard in my life. I remember when, when these kids left, they, Tom prayed with them, ended up baptizing this kid who's now a youth minister in Ohio somewhere, ended up baptizing him, and just this amazing thing, and afterwards Tom said, hey, that was a fun night, and I said, yeah, I've been a Christian since I was nine, and I would like to give my life to Jesus right now. <laughs> Because of the way you just delivered this thing, I want to live like that. I think this is what Peter means. That picture is what Peter means. This is what happened during this day. While Peter was alive, just after Jesus had died and the churches began to form, this is the way people lived their lives. They would live differently. They would do life differently. They would speak differently. They would share things in common. And as they did, people in the community who were messed up and who were lost 
would come to them and say, how do we end up where you are? How can we feel like this? We know you're not perfect, but we want our family and our life to feel like that. And out of that conversation, they begin to be ready to share how they felt. Now, do you see the difference between that and going on Facebook and finding someone who disagrees with you that you've never met in your life and attacking them with the Bible? Do you see the difference there? I hope you do. Because it is not what we're called to do. It is not what God means by being ready. So, next slide. Being ready to share what you believe is more about your life and your heart than it is about your mind and your words. I'll say that again because that may be the most important thing that comes from this this morning. Being ready uh, is more about your life and your heart than your mind and your words. And if you aren't ready... And what I mean by that is if your life is not congruent with your words, then just do this one simple thing. Stop talking. Stop posting. Stop arguing. If you can't get yourself in that place, stop it. Because it's not what God intends from the very beginning. So all of that said, when you are ready, here are some things that the Bible says about it. Um, some of these things I think we saw in the movie, if you did get to see the movie. And some of these things, uh, to be real honest with you, uh, hit me pretty gross when I saw the movie. There are some things that I don't really like about the movie, to be honest with you, when it comes to the way that it was portrayed. There are some things that I think are great, and there are more good things than bad. But I, I, I want to tell you, this is the way I believe the Bible says that we are to be ready to speak about God and the way we think. The first is with the right attitude. And if you don't have the right attitude, you're not ready. So don't talk. First Timothy says this, the whole point of what we're urging is simply love. Well, wait a minute though, John, we got to be right first, right? We, we, no, the, the whole point of what we're doing here is to, to let everybody know we're right and they're wrong, right? That there's only one way to heaven and that they're wrong and we're right. Isn't that the whole point? No, the whole point is not that. Because that ends up with a whole bunch of people, if you do win them because you're right, then it, you just won somebody who wants to be right too. And you end up with more people who just want to be right. And what we know about Jesus while he was here on earth was he could have been right all the time. And he chose not to. He could have walked around from person to person to person in every town he went and said, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. And he didn't. Instead, he lived his life differently. He lived a different kind of life full of peace and hope and joy and thinking of other people first. And it changed the world. The whole point of what we're urging, Timothy says, is love. Love uncontaminated by self-interest. You know what self-interest is in our culture for Christians? Being right. Counterfeit faith. You know what counterfeit faith is? Faith that looks like this on the outside, but when you dig into it, there's nothing there. It's fake. It's wrong. He says, if it's not about love, it's counterfeit and contaminated. Those who fail to keep to this point soon wander off, and man, this is true, into cul-de-sacs of gossip. I love that phrase because this is exactly how it happens. Nobody gets up in the morning and goes, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to gossip about all the people who don't agree with me. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start that at 10 a.m., I'm going to take a little break around lunch, and then I'm going to start it right back up about 1 o'clock. I'm just going to start gossiping about people. We don't do that. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's, it's a much more subtle than that. We just start down the road of our day, and eventually we end up Somebody goes, man, did you see her last night? Did you see that thing she posted on Facebook? And all of a sudden, you take a right turn down a cul-de-sac. 
And you go, yep, she's an idiot. The next thing you know, you're in a gossip cul-de-sac. And the, the whole conversation that you're having to, about people and around people that you're faking and pretending is about them is really about you and your gossip. They set themselves up as experts on religious issues. Do you know that? You've seen this. I think Facebook and social media and web uh, blogs have made this, in, in human history, it's, it's worse now than it's ever been where you just have a lot of people who set themselves up as experts on God. But haven't the remotest idea of what they're holding forth with such imposing eloquence. A lot of people can talk. And can they live it? It's the attitude that starts the whole thing. And I, I want to kind of stop here and just pause for a minute because I, 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 I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking right now because I'm, I, truthfully, I'm thinking it too. And so I just want to acknowledge that that there is this thing in us that says, yeah, but I got my own problems. I got my own stuff. I got my own issues. I don't feel like having the attitude that thinks about other people first. I don't, I don't feel like being the kind of person that opens up and, and kind of opens up lives for other people. I'm just trying to survive. And, and I want you to know this, that what we do as humans is we think, okay, if I can just get my life right, if I can get organized, if I can get on top of my bills, if I can get the anxiety out of my life, if I can just find peace, then I'll think about other people first. If I can just get to that place. In fact, we say things like this, I've got to work on me. You know, this is what counselors tell us. You've you got to work on you, which is probably true. But you know what Jesus said, and you know what is true in my life over and over and over again? It's in those moments where I seem to not be able to put peace together, in those moments where I seem like I cannot put this thing together, I cannot make it work myself, if I can put my own life on pause for a minute and 100% give my life to somebody else and love them desperately and love them beyond reason and say things to them that only make sense in terms of the love that, that God has for them, if I can put myself in them, then I begin to walk towards peace and hope and joy. But there's something in our brains that says, when I get the peace and hope and joy, then I'll help people, then I'll love people, then I'll think about other people first. When Jesus said, he came and he said this to all the people who were closest to him, seek first the kingdom of God and all that stuff, and then the rest will come. Seek first God's things. Look first about God's things. Then the peace starts to come. He says it's a peace that passes all understanding. So I'm going to ask you right now. I know what you're thinking. You're, you're going, man, this sermon's not for me because I'm just in such a place right now in my life, I can't even think about what I'm talking about in other people's lives. I'm telling you right now, if you can pause, if you can pause and consciously choose, and the messy your life is right now, the worse your life is off right now, the more out of control your life is right now, the more you need to do this. Pause and figure out who God has put in your life that you need to be giving your life to. Now, what I know about church and what I know about Christians is that more often than not, the older we get, the more our arms get crossed and the less we begin to do this. But it's what God intends for you. And the more you cross your arms and the more you get frustrated and the more, the more you put your own stuff first and the more you get angry because Obama said something you disagree with or because something's going on over here or somebody said something over here, the more it becomes about you and the more it becomes about you, the further you get from peace and hope and joy and the grumpier you get. And it's out of that grumpiness and that anger and that cycle and that cul-de-sac of gossip that we get in that we begin to make these stupid conversations 
We begin to, to defend in the name of this piece of Scripture. We begin to try to be right. And it's not just leading us in bad places. It's leading the reputation of Christians down the wrong path. It's not about being right. And if you're the kind of person that has to be right, please be silent. Can you be right and be quiet, please? Because being right and being loud is what has got Christian the name it has today. Romans says this, it's news I'm proud of, Paul says. It's, this is news I'm proud to proclaim, this extraordinary message of God being right and everybody else being wrong. No, of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts him. What if your Facebook posts weren't about gay people and whether marriage should, gay marriage should be legal? That's not even the conversation. What if they weren't about that? What if your Facebook posts considered more the fact that God's first and foremost concern for humans is that they be rescued from the junk of life? And instead, what we're doing is adding more junk to their life in the name of Jesus, which I can't think of anything that would break his heart more. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says this, the question that keeps coming up regarding meat. <laughs> I think this kind of thing drove Paul nuts. And the older I get as a preacher and the more darkness and the more sin and the more just people living in, in this mess in their life and the more I see people that need Jesus, the more I totally understand where Paul's coming from here. All these people are going to hell. All this stuff is going down in Paul's lifetime. There's people going to jail constantly because of what they believe. And then there's people who are just living so far from God and wondering why God, um, and feeling like God is punishing them. And Paul says this, all the Christians are starting to argue about things that don't matter. Paul says, the question keeps coming up, and you almost see this annoyance in his voice, regarding meat that has been offered up to an idol. Should you attend meals where such meat is served or not? See, there was a law and a rule that, that you, if you have this meat that was, that was um, set up for something outside of God and was a sacrifice outside of God, and you were at a meal, then you were kind of living in sin because of that, and you were sort of putting your stamp on that. The question is, in our culture, is a whole lot different than that. It has to do with, you know, do I ha if I have two friends that are gay and they want to get married, and if I don't say something, am I, uh, am I somehow, you know, in sin or some? We have all these conversations that we have right now, and here's what Paul says about it. He says this, we sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know to answer these kinds of questions. We sometimes make up things that God doesn't have an answer in our hearts and our brains for. We sometimes speak on behalf of God when we don't have an answer just because we want something. And if you're in this boat today, I'm going to let God step on your toes. Don't blame me. Right here, right now, I've been praying for it. If you find yourself in the place where you have an opinion and you're desperately going to the Bible to find something that God said that agrees with your opinion, you need to shut up. Because that is not who God intended for us to be. And if you have an opinion today, whether it be about gay marriage, whether it be about the president, whether it be about Republican versus Democrat, or money on this way, whatever it is, if you are trying to substantiate your opinion by going to look for something that God has said outside of it, then you need to know you're not ready to talk about this. And this is one of the things that is making me 
so frustrated, and not that I haven't done it myself, but I'm so broken by some of the things I see that Christians I love say, where they're just stretching, trying to find something that God said that agrees with them. Paul says we sometimes tend to think we know all we need to know to answer these kinds of questions, but sometimes our humble hearts can help us much more than our proud minds. If we could just get to a place where we could be humble and not have to be right, then it would be amazing what God would do with our lives. Whew! It's it's not being about right. It's not about being right. When it's about being right, it's about you. And God wants your life to not be about you. If you're sitting here today, and I know some of you are, you're sitting here because your wife drug you in, or you're sitting here because you feel guilty of something you did, or you're sitting here for, you need to know today that if you continue to make your life 100% about you, if you continue to say, how can I just get by the day with as little giving to other people as possible so I can fill my own life, you will constantly be in that place where you are trying to fill the hole in your life with something that doesn't fit. You will constantly be in the place, as long as it's all about you, you will constantly be in the place where you are desperate for peace and hope and not finding Timothy says this, he wants not only us, but everyone to be saved. You know, everyone to get to know the truth we've learned, that there's one God and only one God, and one priest mediator, that's Jesus, between God and us, Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them all free. Eventually, the news is going to get out, Timothy says. This, and this only, has been my appointed work, getting this news to those who have never heard of God and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain trust. What's funny, Timothy wrote that 1,800 years ago, 1,500 years ago. You know what? Nothing you write today, anybody's going to read 1,500 years from now. Nothing I write today, nothing I say today, people are going to remember 1,500 years from now. It's just true. Timothy lived his life differently. He decided that maybe his life wasn't intended to be just something where he gathered as much thing as he could. He leveraged the debt that he could have. He leveraged the credit cards and the stuff so that he could get as much as he could get out of life. He leveraged everything he could do. Do a couple good things every now and then for people just so that people think he's a good guy, you know. He decided, what if I gave my whole life to this? What if I actually lived as though God intended for me to share with everyone I came in contact with out of my life not out of my mouth, the love that God has for him. It's not about you. It's about them. Matthew chapter 18, verse 12. Jesus is with a whole group of people, and he says this. Jesus was the, he picked 12 guys. If you've never heard the story of Jesus and his 12 disciples, Jesus kind of had 12 guys who hung around him all the time. And they weren't smart, and they weren't good, and they, they weren't like... Christian, and they hadn't made a lot of good choices in their lives. Most of them weren't even religious, and I am so glad. I am so glad that these guys were like me, just normal humans who are struggling through life, and I believe it was very intentional. Jesus said, I want to gather you guys around, but all the time, he, he just found that they were trying to kind of use Jesus to, to get in things. They were trying to kind of say, you know, Jesus, I'd like to get popular, and you're pretty popular, so if I hang around you enough, then I'll get that. Or they were, they were trying to say, Jesus, if you could just be king, then we didn't have to pay any more taxes. <laughs> you know, like guys like us, you know, we'd be your entourage. You see this happen in NFL football and NBA basketball all the time. 
a star rises up in the NFL, and then the guy that only had two friends in high school now has 40 people who simply just want to hang around him all the time, so they get kind of residue of his richness and his fame. This is what happened with Jesus. These disciples start going, I wasn't sure about you at first, Jesus, but now that people love you, now I'm kind of on board, and it drove him nuts. And Jesus began to see this thing in people that I think if he were here today, he'd see in us too, myself included. And that is a selfishness that is killing us from the inside. A selfishness that is blinding us from the peace and the hope and the joy that God wants for your life. Jesus saw it in these disciples. And even when they would see something, somebody drastically transformed, miracles been done, people who had given their lives to God, who were the last people anybody would expect to, the disciples would see it, and their very first thought wasn't, praise God for this life, it was, how can I gain from this? What would people think of me because I was around there? So Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus is sitting with them, and he's got this moment of patience. And he says, listen, guys, look at this. Look at it this way. If someone has a hundred sheep, and now the way Jesus taught, I, my guess is he's on a hill, and he's probably pointing out at sheep. And he says, if someone has a hundred sheep, and one of them wanders off, doesn't he leave the 99 and go after the one? Just the one that goes off is, is not just somebody that you write off. You need to know that in your life right now, Jesus sees those who are broken in your life and far from him as that one. As that one that's walked away. And if, if he finds it, when he finds it, doesn't he make far more over it? Isn't he more excited about that over the 99 who stay put? It makes you go, well, huh. Doesn't it? If your heart's not right. Your Father in Heaven feels the same way. He doesn't want to lose even one. And then I think, Jesus, there's probably some sheep on this hill and probably some people, broken people on this hill. And he takes this opportunity to look at his disciples and say, it's not about you. It's about them. Those who are broken. Those who are far from God. And today, I'm just telling you right now, I believe strongly, I don't know what you believe about Jesus, but if he was standing on the stage today, the one thing he might say to you, and it would take him a lot long, less time than it's, saying, than it's taken me, is your life, the life you've always wanted, is not about you. And when you get it, you won't believe the stride. When you get it, when you finally get that your life is about those sheep that have fallen away, and about you, God using you as an instrument to get them back. When you finally get that in your life, you won't believe the road to peace and hope and joy that you found yourself on. It's about them. And Jesus did this really well. John chapter 10, verse 38. People that walked around Jesus and went around Jesus, especially religious people, didn't believe he was who he says he was. They had a hard time believing that he was who he says he was. And, and he didn't convince them. If you, if you look through the Bible, you, you don't see these big arguments that Jesus has. Where you, you know that if you believe what we believe, many of us around here, that Jesus was, was fully human and fully God at the same time. We don't totally understand that, but this is what the Bible says. And that Jesus had the ability to be intellectually superior to everybody he was around. He could outthink you and outtalk you at any moment if he wanted to. Any time. And very rarely. Now, the only times we see Jesus use his tongue and his brain in this way is with religious people who have made it about them. 
It's the people that Jesus gets the maddest at. It's not the sinners. It's not the messed up people that we would consider to be messed up. It's not those who are farthest from him. It's those who are supposed to be the 99 going after the one and those who have gotten so selfish that they have missed the point. Those are the ones Jesus gets the maddest at. And those are the only ones Jesus uses his superior intellect and his superior language with. And he does it and he rips them apart. But when it comes to those who are questioning, those who disagree with him, This is what he says. Put aside for a moment what you hear me say about myself. Stop thinking about what I'm saying. This is what he says to the people who disagree with him. Stop thinking about what I'm saying and just take the evidence of the actions that are right before your eyes. Stop stop looking at my words, stop listening to my words, and just look at my life. If you want my opinion, the reason Christians get loud is because they want to distract people from their life. Please don't look at my life. Just listen to my words. And I'll get louder and louder and louder to keep you looking from looking at my life. So if you find yourself there today, you need to know that what God wants for you to do is be life first kinds of people. Jesus says, then perhaps things will come together for you. It's the way it works. Like it did with Tom that day. He could have gone to the, court, the running back of that football team day after day after day and told him he was doing the wrong thing at the parties on Friday night. He was the biggest partier in our school. He could have gone to him and said, this is going to leave you in a bad place. You're going to get arrested. God doesn't like it. He could have gone to that same kid. He could have preached to him. He could have shared scripture with him. But instead, he lived his life different to the point where the kid said to him, what is it? What am I missing? That's what God's called us to do. That's what happened with Jesus. So today, man, I've gone a long time today. Band, you guys can come up. Today, I'm, I'm begging you, as the people I love, as fellow Christians in this place, to be ready. To be ready when that one sheep or those people in your life that have fallen away from God or have pushed themselves away from God have contact with you. Some of you, some of you already tuned me out, and that's okay. That's between you and God. But some of you today, you're going, okay, so how do I be ready? I'm telling you, when you get on Facebook in a little bit, you're going to have this opportunity. When you walk into the grocery store, when you go home to some of the people that we go home to around here who are far from God, and we want to be right, and we want them to know that we're right, you need to know, I'm praying for you, and I'm praying for me that we can get to a place where being right isn't the point. We need to be ready. Live differently First, hold your opinions quietly and loosely. I love this. My dad said this the other day. Dad, my dad grew up in a very conservative church and a very conservative home with a very conservative preacher as a dad. And as I grew up, I just noticed how conservative my dad is. And I'm a little more liberal than dad, but we, I've, I'm still my... I'm still a conservative guy, but I'm more liberal than dad. The older dad gets, the more I realize, I don't know if his views are changing, or he just seems to, we have less arguments, and he has less opinions. And so it was probably two months ago, I said, Dad, I, I've just noticed your, your attitude about some things have changed. And he said, you know, no, I don't, I don't think so much. He said, he said, here's what I feel. He said, I realize that I'm, as the older I get and the closer I get to God, the more I realize that some things are just my opinion, and some things are important to God. And the things that are just my opinion, I just need to shut up about. Because the things that God wants and the things that are most important to God, I'm, I'm getting in the way of by sharing my opinions. And I thought, God, please let me get this. 
please let, as I get older, let my opinions get less. But you know what happens to Christians? And I'm not looking at anybody in the eye, but the older we get, most, many of us, the more angry we get, the more opinionated we get, the more frustrated we get. And the more frustrated, the louder, the more opinionated, the more staunch, we use the word staunch, the more stiff we get, the less useful you get when it comes to those sheep who are far from God. I don't need to say anything more about that. I'm going to let God say it to you. Speak when your heart is at attention and your attitude is right. So if you're in a bad mood, if you're in a bad place, have the foresight to shut up. Don't use it as an outlet. Make sure your motivation is people and not simply the need to be right. And those of you who are digging for truth, those of you who aren't convinced yet that Jesus is who He says He is and God is who He says He is, do this. If you're digging for truth, stop listening to what people are saying and start looking at lives. And when you find somebody who is living the kind of life that you think makes sense, you ask them, what is it in your life? But stop listening to the people. And maybe I'm one of those people for you today. Maybe you see me as somebody who talks more than lives. And if I am, stop listening. Because what God wants most is life first, a life that is congruent. And a life that isn't congruent with what's being said can be thrown out. Jesus said it's like lukewarm milk. I remember when the kids were real young, they have these little things of milk sitting around all the time. You know, like you never drink a whole thing of milk. I don't know what that is. But I was still drinking milk at that point in my life. And, and I had these little clear glasses that I drink milk out of. And every now and then there would be some sitting around and I'd grab the wrong one. Not the cold one, but the bleh, the one that's been sitting for two days. <laughs> so Jesus paints this picture of those people who cannot shut up. Those people who talk more than they live. Those people who have more opinions than they have life. And Jesus says, you know, it's, it's like your lukewarm milk. And you know what he says? He actually uses this in the book of Revelation. I spew you out of my mouth. It's like you're rotten. It's like you've missed it. You've missed the point. And it makes me sick. I'm going to give you the chance today. I've said enough. Give me a chance today that, to move back towards God. Those of you who have these staunch opinions, those of you who have to be right today, you will not believe the peace that comes with realizing you're not right. God is right. The, there, there's, you would not believe the peace and the hope and the joy that comes with the moment where you say, God, stop my opinions and only allow me to pursue the things that are most important to you. I'm just giving you the opportunity today and then I'm going to shut up. I'm going to be right down here this morning. If you'd, like to, if you'd like to come pray with me, if you'd like to just make this between you and God, whatever you want to do this morning, maybe you're finally in the point in your life where you say, you know what, I want that peace, hope, and joy. I want, I want life instead of talk. Maybe today is your day to give your life to the one who thinks of you as that one sheep who is desperate to rescue. Would you stand with us and sing this this morning?